From Share Profits, usually brought to you from Wales by 30 Yards, this is the Share Profits Radio Show, Episode 20, for the 6th of December, 2019. And here's your host, Tom Winifrith. Hi, this is Tom Winifrith, and it is indeed the 20th edition of Share Profits Radio. I don't know what Darren said in the introduction, but it's not coming from Wales by just 30 yards this week. It's coming from halfway up a mountain in remote rural Greece, in the Marni, the deep south of Greece, where I spent a happy 10 days harvesting my olives. At last, I'm doing some decent, honest, hard labour. I think there are a lot of people on the bulletin boards who think I should be doing a different form of hard labour, but that's another matter. Anyhow, I shall be back in Wales next week, and I plan to bring you Share Profits Radio on Election Day as a break from the wall-to-wall coverage uh, of an election which I'm sure many of you are sick and tired of. There are two uh, uh, comments I make on the election, in case you are not sick and tired of it. Uh, The first is that there will be all sorts of people... Uh, writing articles over the next week on how you should shape your portfolio uh, in order to take account of the likely general election result. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but I suspect that election result is almost certainly priced in, unless there's a major upset. Looking at the bookies tonight, uh, it seems that with a 10-point poll lead uh, and Labour mired in absolutely appalling uh, anti-Semitism, a new anti-Semitism scandal today. Uh, the Tories are set for a victory. The bookies have them as odds on to win an overall majority. And the strength of sterling uh, and the stock market, I suspect, prices that in already. So if we wake up uh, next Friday morning, Friday the 13th, and Boris Johnson uh, does indeed have an overall majority, even if it's an overall majority of just uh, half a dozen seats, don't expect sterling to go through the roof. Don't expect shares to go through the roof. They are already pricing that in. Now, it's just possible uh, that something could happen in the last week and that Tory lead evaporates. Uh, It's hard to know what that could be. The Tories have made their manifesto. There's been no massive blunt last time with the dementia tax. Uh, Could there be a scandal about Boris Johnson's personal life? It is hard to see what he could be accused of, which would come as a shock to the nation. I suppose a spot of bestiality with photographic evidence might shock some of us, although many people would just laugh this off as another uh, uh, chapter in the colourful private life of Boris Johnson. I don't, for for, for a second, by the way, believe that Mr Johnson is into bestiality. Uh, So it's hard to see what could upset the Tory poll lead. It could be that the polls are wrong. It's fairly safe to say that Labour will not win an overall majority. I think they're now at 20 to 1 to win an overall majority. It is just inconceivable. I say inconceivable. It is exceedingly unlikely that Labour will win an overall majority. It is, however, possible uh, that Labour could still form a minority government. Uh, It is odds against. I think it's sort of... uh, 
10, 9 to 4 or something like that. The bookies are saying it is unlikely. Uh, but if the Labour Party uh, uh, has shown some improvement in the polls, it is possible uh, that together with the support of the SNP in return for yet another referendum on Scottish independence, Plaid Cymru in return for God knows what, subsidies for sheep farms or something, uh, and the Lib Dems in return for another referendum on some uh, on Brexit, they could cobble together a coalition. If that happens, I would suggest that equity markets will tank. Uh, if we wake up on uh, uh, Thursday, on Friday morning and find that the Tories have only, let us say, 315 seats, uh, then it's possible that uh, uh, the Labour Party could just about uh, form a coalition of chaos. Uh, that will mean that Brexit is not resolved in any way, shape or form uh, uh, for uh, by January the 31st. Uh, it will drag on and on and on and on. Uh, that will be bad news. What industry wants, what the economy wants, is Brexit certainty. We want to know, even if, for those people who uh, opposed leaving the European Union, uh, they want to know that the issue is settled. For those of us who are not directly uh, affected by commerce, I think we're just bored of it. We want to get it settled. Uh, so the markets would hate that. I think they would also hate uh, uh, the economic uncertainty which would come with a Corbyn-led government, albeit a minority one, uh, since all his partners in that government, uh, they may not believe in the money tree forests of Mr Corbyn, uh, but they certainly all believe in money tree thickets. The Scottish nationalists, I think, are money tree forest people. Uh, it would be seen as very bad news for the economy on a number of levels. So uh, it is just possible that there will be no Tory overall majority. If that happens, shares will tank uh, and sterling, I suspect, will fall pretty sharply. So how do you play that as an investor? Well, I suspect you might want to just hedge your portfolio uh, with a small wager uh, on there being no overall majority. Uh, that might be a way of putting some sort of hedge in place. Uh, it won't uh, protect you from all of the carnage, uh, but it would protect you from some of it. But as things stand, that may not even be necessary. The markets are, are pricing a Tory victory, and it does look like there will be a Tory victory. So for all the sort of rubbish written in the papers, and there will be acres of rubbish about how and already has been quite a lot of uh, acres of coverage of this, for all of that, for all of these people holding seminars on how to trade the general election, don't bother. It is priced in. Uh, the most likely result is already heavily priced in. Uh, 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 any other result, it is inconceivable that Labour or the Lib Dems will form a national government. Uh, it is just possible we have this no, no overall majority scenario. Maybe think about a small hedge there. The other thing to note about the general election, of course, is that on Thursday of next week, and indeed on Friday of next week, as we uh, consider the implications of the results, the minds of most people will be elsewhere. Uh, any company in uh, with half a brain cell which has good news will not publish it on the 12th, 
uh, or on the 13th, and I suspect, actually, they wouldn't publish it on the eve of poll uh, either, because if that good news uh, 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 was really good news, it wouldn't be reported in great detail, because all of the financial journalists will be too busy uh, writing cobblers about the general election. So if you have good news, you will not publish it on the 11th, 12th or 13th. You certainly will not publish it on the 12th because everybody's minds will be elsewhere. We will all go off to vote. Uh, I'm trying to find a way of distracting myself. So I think I might have a, a boozy lunch with someone, failing with that with my three-year-old son. But uh, it is not a time when you publish good news. It will be a time when I put it to you, some rather unscrupulous companies will try and sneak out bad news. If you're going to have a profits warning, well, how about five o'clock on uh, the 12th of December? Uh, there's going to be snow, apparently, in many parts of the country. People will be just thinking about the election. They'll be getting home from work, whatever. There will be so many other things to do. Uh, we should perhaps organise a sweepstake on share profits on how many companies publish profits warnings on election day or other bad news. One company we do know is reporting on election day is Vasarian. I've talked about Vasarian quite a lot on Share Profits Radio, and I've also talked about it uh, extensively on Share Profits. Suffice to say, I am a mega bear. Uh, the company's market cap is 160 million or something at round about 95p. It's an enormous market cap. There are a few things to note about that market cap which should immediately send alarm bells ringing. The first is that there are no institutional investors. If a company gets to that size, even on the AIM casino, it should be attracting institutional investors. Uh, we can all have our view on fund managers. I suspect that many of them are probably not your first uh, pick for the pub quiz team. Uh, but generally, they do know a little bit more about investment than uh, uh, many of the people putting posts on the LSE bulletin board. Uh, generally, they are a lot smarter than those folks. So if a company doesn't have any institutional investors, that is a big, big red flag once its market cap is uh, well in excess of £100 million. That is very much the case with Vasarian. Having no institutional investors, of course, means that there's no borrow, so it is very hard to short the stock. Uh, there will be people on uh, 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 chat rooms, and indeed other uh, companies uh, uh, appalling, Chief Executive Mr Neil Ricketts, uh, constantly suggesting that if there's any weakness in the share price, it's down to wicked shorters. But it's very, very hard to short the stock. Uh, you need to find a broker who will allow you to go short on a T20 basis and roll your position. It is very hard indeed. There is a very small short interest in Vasarian. That is a function of there being no institutional investors who will lend their stock out and give people borrow. Again, these are red flags. The red flag is that any weakness in the share price is blamed on evil shorters, when, of course, there are none. Neil Ricketts knows that's a myth. Uh, maybe some of his shareholders are so stupid that they don't know that it's a myth, but Mr Ricketts pushes that story nonetheless. 
Uh, Vasarian, uh, the other red flag, is, of course, valuation. It's core graphene business, the one about which there is so excitement, so much excitement, uh, has sales, I suspect, on an annualised basis, which are still less than a million pounds. And it's heavily loss-making, burning cash. Uh, to put that in context, uh, you, so you have a business which is capitalised at, what, 150 times annualised sales of the core business. Ignore some non-core graphene businesses. They generate sales, but no profits. They are essentially uh, worthless. And they're certainly not what the excitement is about. So the valuation is absurd. The red flags are there in terms of the lack of institutional support. And the red flags are there also in terms of uh, the antics of the CEO. I ran a story on share profits uh, this week about the latest uh, uh, Twitter uh, 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 spat involving the CEO. Uh, again, I always think it's a very bad sign when a CEO takes to Twitter and starts talking about his own company. It brings back happy memories of the king of the fraudsters, Rob Terry, not for the avoidance of doubt, Mr. Ricketts is a fraudster, uh, but also of Elon Musk of Tesla. Figures like that, those who talk about their stock on Twitter all the time, I, think I regard that as a bit of a red flag. However, in his latest discussions, Mr. Ricketts uh, was challenging some of his critics, saying that they didn't know the price of the next placing. Well, uh, I would have thought that if a company, if Mr. Ricketts does know the price, uh, that he should be putting out an RNS to that effect. He's quite clearly admitting that there is going to be a placing, and I think we'll see why with the results on December the 12th. They will be rotten. Uh, they will show an ongoing cash burn, uh, they will show greatly reduced cash balances. So there may not be a placing on December the 12th, but you can bet the ranch that there will be a placing, partly because Mr. Ricketts says so, that there will be a placing at some stage relatively soon. The company is quite simply running out of money. There are various other uh, things which Mr. Ricketts probably doesn't want discussed in great detail. Uh, the fact that in May he announced to great uh, 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 fanfare that the company had opened a, a hub in America to spearhead its sales, marketing and research efforts. Uh, we've shown photos on share profits showing that that is an empty office. There's no one there. And that's the sort of thing that Mr. Ricketts, maybe on December the 12th, will have a line somewhere about how they've repositioned their American activities, blah 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 It will be a day to slip out that news. There is the ongoing issue of the fact that Mr. Ricketts announced in, I think it was March or was it April, that he had signed an MOU with a mysterious company, BIGT, at the Beijing Institute of Graphene Technology, uh, uh, where BIGT was, getting, was uh, considering or has signed MOU to take a 15% stake in the company. The shares zoomed to 140 on that, and Mr. Ricketts promptly sold hundreds of thousand pounds worth of shares. Uh, he did so, claiming that he didn't know the price. Mm, strange, you sign a deal about someone uh, uh, taking a stake in your company and you have no discussions about price? Well, it's a crazy world, maybe that's true. Uh, anyhow, we've yet to see uh, any news on this BIGT investment. Uh, supporters, disciples, uh, were told to expect some news around about the time of the AGM in September. It didn't happen. Here we are in December and we still have no news. Uh, perhaps on December the 12th, it will be slipped out. The, the companies uh, considered the offer from BIGT to be inadequate, 
and was therefore pressing ahead with alternative plans to roll out in China or elsewhere in the world. We don't know. But to actually flag up, as Vasarian has done, that it is going to be publishing its results on election day is surely the most monumental red flag. It's okay slipping out a profits warning at 5.30pm on election day. That's what we expect, the sort of shysters at the bottom end of AIM. But to put your results out when you know you will get zero press coverage and when many people uh, will not be at their screens at all, uh, maybe they'll be shoveling the snow outside their front doors or maybe they will just be thinking about the election or maybe they will just be switching off all electrical devices so they don't have to hear about the election. But to do that seems to me utterly cynical, but it's also a sign uh, that the company has got no good news to report uh, only uh, more ongoing losses and grim news. Uh, thank you very much for listening to that so far. I promise not to mention the election for the rest of this edition of Share Profits Radio. Share Profits Radio is, of course, brought to you uh, at no cost at all. It is a free podcast. Um, I much prefer it if you were to sign up for Share Profits, paying five ninety nine a month. And you can listen to a paid-for, a, a, a bear cast, a podcast from me every day of the week, uh, which lasts only about 20 minutes, uh, but is always fun and topical with a few swear words, uh, uh, like Neil Ricketts, and uh, 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 some even ruder than that, uh, but also breaking news on placings, uh, 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 fraud, lies, and other shenanigans on the London stock market. There are 300 articles a month on share profits, Cost only five ninety nine. Don't be a cheapskate. Sign up now. This edition of Share Profits Radio, like all the others, is uh, uh, free to listen. Uh, we hope it's a step in the right direction. You will sign up for Share Profits, but it's free because it's brought to you uh, with sponsorship from Open Orphan PLC. Open Orphan is an A-listed company. It used to be a complete dog. Uh, then it got a new management team led by Cathal Friel. Uh, and is now, I think, taking, I believe, taking all the steps to restore itself to profitability. Unlike many companies on AIM, it has real sales. Uh, I believe its market cap is, is roughly equivalent to annual sales at the moment. <clears throat> but it is now uh, well on the road to profitability and pursuing uh, uh, a clear buy and build strategy. The company has got plenty of cash. Following the RTO earlier this year, I am a shareholder. I am in the money. I don't know what the shares are. I, I, I assume I'm in the money. Uh, last time I looked, there were five, six, whatever, something P like that. Uh, I believe they will go to 10P or plus. And that, at that point, I might uh, be cease to be a shareholder. But it is my belief that they're cheap. If you want to know more about the company, follow it uh, on Twitter, at Open Orphan, or listen to Cathal Friel explain what I think is a compelling investment case in uh, Share Profits Radio Edition 8. I have commented uh, this week on the proposed IPO of Vox Markets, which uh, many of you will know, uh, because it uh, also hosts uh, a podcast, uh, albeit one where companies pay to appear, uh, and they are asked ridiculously easy questions and don't always tell the truth, and I never picked up on the fact that they're not telling the truth by its host, Justin the Clown. Vox Markets uh, markets itself as providing a service to investors. You get alerts on companies' uh, announcements, that sort of thing. It is, in reality, not a service to investors. It's a disservice to investors. Uh, companies pay to have their, uh, their news and their ramps promoted and to be interviewed by Justin the Clown and have their shares talked up ahead of deeply discounted placings. That is the business model. 
I'm not knocking Vox. There is a place for this in the world. Indeed, you know, there is a gap in the world uh, for truly independent research. It's just not provided by Vox. Uh, truly, because companies on AIM, they rarely get any broker coverage. If they do, it will be from a house broker, which you can guarantee uh, will talk cobblers on its behalf. It is being paid to write about the company via its retainer, and therefore it always writes nice things. If you can't even get your house broker to write about you, well, you must be a real dog, uh, but if you can't do that, then you have to go to people like Edison or Hardman uh, or Align and pay them to do research on you. But again, you as the company uh, are paying uh, uh, the, uh, the, you, the, the, the provider uh, is a provider. The relationship is absolutely uh, akin uh, to that between a hooker and the client. Uh, 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 however uh, small and smelly the willy of the client is, the hooker will always say that it is enormous uh, and highly fragrant uh, and that their technique is wonderful. That is exactly the nature of the relationship between those people who provide paid-for research or paid-for marketing services like Vox Market and corporate clients at the seedier end of AIM and the standard list. So there is a genuine gap in the market for people providing independent research. Uh, sadly, the economics of it don't really work out. Uh, I like to think the share profits provides independent research, exposing uh, the fact that some com uh, companies have terribly small uh, and smelly willies uh, and, uh, and pointing this out. But it's not really a, a business which is capable of making vast sums of money. So it is only share profits which is in that game. But there is a gap. I, wonder, I wish there was more truly independent research. Why do I make this point? Vox Markets uh, was set to join the AIM market in a complex deal involving Align Research and a company which has since been delisted, PCGE. And that deal fell apart. And it is now <coughs> endeavouring to uh, 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 list its shares on the next lobster pot. It is seeking and saying that it will have a valuation of £6 million on listing. Uh, that valuation is patently absurd. Uh, the company's sales in the first half of this year fell. Uh, it lost in the six months of 28th of February 122,000, but that rather understates the position in that the company capitalises uh, uh, quite a lot of uh, IT spending, claiming this is research and development work. I haven't actually seen its website improve dramatically, but I'll take it at its word that it is R&D work. But nonetheless, it's a cash cost. Uh, therefore, the net cash burn in the first half of this year looks to be about 150,000 quid. And the point is that Vox Markets is quite an old company now, and it has never, never been a generator of cash. Worse still, the balance sheet is a train wreck. If you take out the capitalised R&D spend and also some rather strange accounting treatment for lease commitments, treating them as an asset when they are clearly a liability, it seems to me that the company's net uh, current asset position is in the region of minus £400,000. Uh, the company uh, is, appears to be raising a little bit of debt, which will no doubt pay a few bills as they fall due, and is also seeking equity at £6 million. Well, uh, I, I, if you're approached, I hope you would say, no, 
because you will lose money. You will lose money on fundamentals. Clearly, a business that is burning cash and has a balance sheet which is thinner than an anorexic Ethiopian supermodel uh, is not worth six million quid. You might just say it was worth six million quid if it was just at the start of its development and there was a business plan showing how it was going to grow magnificently uh, and pretty soon be a cash cow. But Vox has been around long enough uh, that it has a historic track record, and what is going to change that historic track record? Uh, it is hard to see uh, what will transform its prospects. The valuation is therefore absurd. But if uh, the company gets its fundraiser ahead and lists on the next lobster pot, uh, next markets being a junior market to aim, one where, as we've seen in, in, in recent times, it is perfectly possible for companies to put out absolutely blatant lies and nothing happens about them, I refer here to block commodities, Then, uh, and therefore it's a market which no serious investor would consider investing in. Uh, uh, it's okay to list, but what happens in the aftermarket? I suspect that with Vox Markets, there may be one or two investors who come in at the IPO. Uh, I can't understand why, but there may be one or two investors who do nonetheless come in at the IPO at that valuation. Uh, But when the company lists, there is going to be a long tail of investors who have put money up for Vox over many, many years, who for the first time have a chance to exit. I don't know how many of them are going to be locked in, uh, but I suspect not all of them. And the thing about lock-ins is that eventually they expire. And if indeed, uh, 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 when they come to that point, uh, you will just have a wall of sellers. It doesn't need to be many, just a handful of sellers, whether it's on day one of the IPO or it's after a lock-in has expired, there will be sellers. And who would buy? Given that the company is patently massively overvalued, and if the company hasn't raised much in its flotation process, uh, there would have to be a worry that it will run out of money pretty soon. Given that, it was hard to see why anyone would want to buy, even if the company was on AIM or the main market. Being on NEXT, where liquidity is always almost nothing, it's impossible to see why anyone would actually want to buy the stock in the secondary market. Uh, Therefore, when the sellers arrive, and they will arrive for that, there is no doubt, uh, whether it's an IPO or whether it's when lock-ins expire, the shares will quite simply collapse. Uh, That's uh, a problem. It's not the first time this has happened. Uh, I refer uh, also to uh, FinCap, the nomad and broker. FinCap floated about this time last year at 27.5p a share, valuing it at, from memory, 47 million quid. Nomads and brokers, it's a pretty poor business. It's highly cyclical and also highly operationally geared. You have very high fixed costs uh, in terms of your staff. Uh, very, very high. Uh, when things go well, the staff demand a big share of the profits. When things go badly, you plunge into a deep loss. That is the nature of the game. And for that reason, nomads and brokers should always be on a very low multiple of average cycle earnings, P of three, four, five, that sort of level. Uh, FinCap was on a massive multiple. It didn't have a lot of cash. 
Uh, and its most recent results coming out uh, the other day showed that it wasn't generating any cash. So it's not generating any cash and it's maybe got five million in the bank. Uh, and of that, of course, being a regulated business, quite a lot of has to be held in the bank uh, as what is termed regulatory capital. So it's free cash is, I suspect, only a couple of million uh, and it's not generating very much in the way of cash. Clearly, the stock was not worth between seven and a half P. At the start, the shares held at 27.5p because nearly all the shareholders were employees of FinCap or were investors who had been strong-armed in ahead of the IPO, but not many investors. In other words, the stock was pretty illiquid and there were no obvious sellers. For a while, that worked. Uh, the shares now are 21p. Uh, in my view, they should be sub 10p, and I'm sure they will get there eventually. But it is the nature of a, 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 an illiquid stock. There are no obvious buyers of the shares. Management clearly are not buyers of the shares. No obvious buyers, but there is a line of people who will be waiting to sell. All of this goes to show about being wary of IPOs. I saw there was one this week, uh, was it called Pebble or something? 200 million flotation, the founders had taken out 58 million as part of the IPO, and zero liquidity. Well, it might look good on day one, and I'm sure on day one, FinCap was uh, popping the champagne, thinking what a successful IPO we've had. We are valued on a multiple of earnings, which is way above everyone else in our sector. And I'm sure that the Vox IPO on the next lobster pot will go away and they will pat themselves on the back because six million quid looks like an amazing valuation for the business. But it is all very artificial. The only question with any of these IPOs where they set a price which you clearly cannot justify on fundamentals, the only question is when do the shares collapse? Uh, is, is going to be, it, it, and that is largely dependent on when lock-ins expire. I suspect with FinCap there's another issue, staff who own shares, and it may not be on lock-ins, but uh, if they were to sell shares and that were to tip uh, the share price, uh, start the share price tumbling, uh, that would probably be seen as a bit of a, a career-limiting move within FinCap. Uh, so you're going to need a, a bit of tough times in the market and FinCap to have to uh, remove some headcount uh, to find people who are prepared to sell your shares. But it's all a matter of time. It's not an if and it's a when. Uh, the moral of this story is just beware of companies that manage to get IPOs away I don't know how, but they do, at valuations, which when you look at the uh, underlying business, are completely absurd. I uh, got uh, an email this week uh, from uh, Roger Lawson uh, the, uh, uh, of ShareSoc, which is an organisation which is meant to be there to uh, represent individual shareholders, uh, saying it's no surprise that nobody likes you. The cause of this spat, uh, and he said that no one in the financial press likes you and they don't report on your uh, achievements as a result. Roger, you whisper such sweet nothings in my ear. The cause of this spat was a defamatory tweet set out by Ed Croft, uh, which said that, as usual, Tom Winifred publishes fake news. That was clearly defamatory. Uh, occasionally, I make a factual error in articles. I, I didn't in the one about Ed Croft, as it happens. Uh, uh, but to say, as usual, is a very defamatory remark to make about a journalist. 
And to his credit, uh, Ed Croft uh, uh, pretty quickly realised this and put out a tweet saying what a good journalist I was, which is very nice of him. Mr Lawson retweeted the first tweet, but not the second one. Retweeting a defamatory comment is itself uh, defamatory, Roger. You should know about libel law. Um, the uh, uh, Sweet Nothings is saying that no one in the financial press likes me. It's not entirely true. There are some people in the press who like me. Reuters, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, uh, the uh, Evening Standard call up for comments and call for, for answers. Of course, I was on Panorama recently uh, discussing my Neil Woodford triumph. It's not entirely true, Roger, but generally I take that as a compliment. The financial press in this country is useless, and I enjoy calling it out for being useless. Uh, uh, their job, uh, as far as I can see, is reprinting press releases, uh, which I regard as nothing more than PR. Good journalism is printing what people don't want to see printed. And there is far too little of that in this country, partly because of the UK's restrictive libel laws, partly because of the press code, uh, uh, which means that if a journalist prints something and someone doesn't like it, uh, they can now complain and it costs a lot of time and money to deal with it. As a result, uh, which since most newspapers are losing money, they don't want to face, as a result, journalists tend to be uh, uh, rather lame PR poodles. And uh, in pointing this out, uh, I think I do uh, everybody a service. And I don't really care if nobody likes me. Like a Millwall fan, uh, nobody likes me, but I don't care. I regard it as a bit of a, a, a praise. So thank you, Roger, for that sweet comment. Uh, keep them coming. I was commenting today uh, on a company called Remote Monitoring Solutions. Yeah, I don't expect you've ever heard of it. And frankly, you don't need to hear of it. Uh, it's an absolute dog. It, to me, looks like it is uh, more or less insolvent. Uh, and it's been limping along, being more or less insolvent for several years, from when it was called Strat Aero. Uh, it has always been perennially insolvent. It just manages to get another placing away, raise money in some way, and it carries on and it carries on and carries on. Investors will be diluted and diluted and diluted and diluted and diluted. They will, in the end, lose all of their money. It's just a matter of when the end comes. Why do I mention this company? Well, I mean, there are reasons to mention it. Recently, the company told folks in September, late September, that its main operating subsidiary was operating profitably. In October, on the back of that, it got a yet another placing away. Uh, and uh, uh, this week, it actually said that its uh, uh, main operating subsidiary was not operating profitably at all. It was having to sack most of the few remaining staff, and indeed was considering strategic options, which is, stock market speak for, we're considering closing it down. Uh, there is little issue there about when did the main operating subsidiary stop being profitable. If the Nomad, uh, SP Angel, was doing its job properly, it would be demanding to see management accounts for the main operating subsidiary. I find it hard to believe that in October, when the placing, mid-October, when the placing was got away, the uh, main operating subsidiary called GeoCurve was still profitable. Uh, and six weeks later, it is uh, apparently losing vast amounts of money uh, and has to be, uh, they have to sack most of the staff. I find it hard to believe there's been such a rapid downturn. So there is an issue uh, here. Uh, the no man should be demanding to see the management accounts. 
And uh, if it shows that the company, that the geocurve was not indeed profitable at the time of the placing, uh, then the company has committed securities fraud. Wouldn't be the first time that the company has committed securities fraud. Uh, uh, back, uh, back when it was Stratero, a completely different management team committed uh, a completely different securities fraud. That is to say, uh, they announced that the CEO had bought shares in the market, uh, when in fact uh, he uh, hadn't actually paid for them, the company was paying for them. Uh, it was all part of a plan hatched with the company's broker, uh, the late Beaufort Securities, to spoof the share price up so they could get a rescue placing away. That was securities fraud. Of course, nothing ever happened about that. I very much doubt the Nomad or AIM regulation uh, will bother to demand to see the management accounts of Geocurve to see whether the company has committed securities fraud on this occasion. My point is not about this one shitty little company, but it's about hot sectors. Uh, the uh, remote monitoring systems Geocurve was involved in drones, uh, flightless, uh, pilotless flight uh, technology. It was one of many companies two years ago uh, which was banging on about drones. They were droning on about drones. Drones were going to revolutionise the world. Uh, everything was going to be different. We were going to have everything delivered to our houses by drones. Uh, they were going to carry out oil exploration, gold exploration, rescue people in the middle of the sea. Blah, 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 blah. They were going to change the world. But drone technology wasn't actually that difficult. Uh, anyone could get into drones. And you know, I think uh, 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 there have been a number of aim-listed companies, uh, uh, as well as Stratero, now called Remote Monitoring System uh, Solutions, uh, which have also talked about getting into drones. Uh, the late Management Resource Solutions, uh, which I've commented on, on, on quite a lot, did a particularly dodgy uh, related party deal buying a company called Delirium for its drone technology. It was rather late in the game in the, in the drone bubble. But across the world, uh, there were numerous companies which raised a lot of capital to get into drones. You see, we take a very insular view. Of, of things in, in Britain. We think, ah, oh, but there's only a couple of companies on the AIM casino, or maybe only one that's involved in, in drone technology. We need to have some exposure. What we often miss is that there are numerous companies raising money in North America, both in Canada and the United States, and indeed elsewhere in the world, uh, to tap into the drone boom. Moreover, there were a lot of rather large companies, very large companies in aviation, electronics, which were also invested, uh, uh, investing in the drone boom. Now, I don't know whether drones are going to change the world, uh, but we've heard it so many times before. Uh, we heard it, and if you go back into the 1920s, it was radio stocks that were going to change the world. Uh, then it was aeroplane stocks that were going to change the world. Uh, back in the late uh, uh, 1990s, it was internet stocks that were going to change the world. Well, the world was changed by radio. The world was changed by uh, commercial airlines. The world was indeed changed by the internet. But nearly all of the companies, nearly all of the companies in the radio boom of the 20s, the aeroplane boom of whatever decade that was, the 50s, and indeed of the dot-com boom, nearly all of them went bust. 
the problem with all of these companies, and I suspect with drones, uh, it's alluded to in the statement from Remote Monitoring Solutions, it talks about massive price pressure within the droning industry. Why is that? Because there's no real barrier to entry in drones, uh, just as indeed there was no barrier to entry in uh, 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 radio or aeroplanes or fitness clubs in the 1980s. It was another uh, 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 boom thing. The only barrier to entry is capital. Uh, can you raise enough capital to get in the game? And of course, when people think that a sector is going to be massively hot, there is no problem raising capital. So you have far too many people entering the industry and they all have the capital to play the game, uh, but that means that there is going to be overcapacity. Even if the industry is changing the world, the chances are that the big firms who've got really deep pockets are going to be the ones that end up dominating in the long run. The smaller ones, their margins are crucified, they can't afford to stay in the game and they nearly all go bust. That is the lesson of history. Why do I mention it now? Well, uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, droning uh, is probably, or you may say I'm droning on, but droning on has probably had its day. We're past peak drone. The new hot sectors, of course, are blockchain and cannabis. Now, both of those sectors are well off their peak, but there is still capital being thrown at them. And there is still, I suspect you will see, vast overcapacity in the industry. You know, cannabis, it is very easy to grow cannabis. Once it is decriminalized, you can grow it just like you grow lettuces or strawberries or potatoes. And the margins you used to earn on cannabis were because it was illegal. There was a risk in growing cannabis. You might have your collar felt by the old bill. Somewhere along the supply chain, someone might have their collar felt by the old bill. In order to compensate for the risk of going to prison and having all your stock confiscated, you were able to charge relatively high margins. You're not able to charge relatively high margins for lettuces because there is no great risk involved in producing or selling lettuces. Uh, and cannabis are just like lettuces. Once you decriminalize it, margins on cannabis will trend towards those on lettuces. It is exactly the same sort of bubble as radio, aeroplane stocks, internet stocks, fitness clubs, uh, and indeed uh, drones. It is exactly the same thing. The moral of the story is when people tell you this an industry is going to change the world, enjoy it as a consumer. But don't invest in it because most of your investments will end up uh, going to zero. The chances are that big corporates will cash in, but you wouldn't buy a big corporate just because 5% of its business was involved in droning or cannabis or whatever. Uh, so there are no pure plays which are likely to be winners in the long run. Radio, as a, as a great example, has transformed our world. And as consumers, uh, we are able to access all sorts of rubbish on all sorts of stations. We are the beneficiaries. Uh, but investing in these things when they are hot is always a mistake. It is better, perhaps, just to wait 15 years and see who emerges as the winners. And if there are some pure droning plays which emerge as winners, or the odd pure cannabis play which emerges as a winner, 
then they should, as more mature businesses, be cash generative and profitable because all of the small players will have been driven from the scene. Perhaps at that time, uh, you put them in your income portfolio. You certainly don't back any sector when it's hot. One other uh, uh, sector, sort of sector thing, uh, it is actually one of the truisms of the stock market that the way to ensure most money is to get your timings right in terms of the market, but then in terms of sectors, and finally, uh, 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 unless you are just investing in spivvy aim-listed companies, which may go through the roof for no reason whatsoever, uh, it is a matter of stock selection. There are, uh, it strikes me, a couple of sectors which you just have to avoid. You can sometimes see sectors which are in utter structural decline. There are two which just shout out uh, to me at the moment, and they're ones I've been warning on for an awfully long time. Uh, perhaps there's a third which is facing cyclical de decline, and I'll come on to that in a second. The two which are clearly in stru structural but also cyclical decline are retail and commercial real estate. The latter was in this news this week as the biggest unit trust invested in commercial real estate, the M&G property fund, was gated. Uh, quite simply, investors can see the writing is on the wall. They can see that for very obvious reasons, demand for office space is going to go down. More of us are going to be working from home to do this sort of green shit. And therefore, there is going to be less demand for offices. And as for retail, uh, more of a shop online. Uh, and that, uh, combined with the high levels of consumer debt and low levels of consumer savings, means there are fewer people walking through shopping centres and then in each shopping centre you're having, uh, that means that some of the more marginal players get pushed to the brink and go bust. Think about Patisserie Valerie, okay, that was a fraud. Uh, but Debenhams uh, and other companies, when they shut, then the shopping centre as a destination becomes less attractive and therefore you get even lower footfall. You get the picture. Retail clearly is facing structural change. <clears throat> there are winners. The internet retailers, it's very hard to pick them, but Boohoo has been a triumph, uh, but others less so. Uh, but it's, since it's hard to pick the winners, the simplest thing to do is to avoid the losers, which strikes me uh, as every other uh, off uh, uh, retailer which is largely offline. If they are offline, they have high fixed costs in terms of property, although property uh, uh, rental prices are falling, but they will still have a far higher fixed cost than online retailers and therefore will find it hard to compete on price. And demographics means that more and more younger people shop online, whereas older people uh, uh, shuffle off to the great supermarket in the sky. All of that means that uh, uh, retail stocks as a whole are just ones to avoid. You should have no retail whatsoever in your prop, uh, portfolio. You should also, I put it to you, have no commercial uh, property stocks or certainly uh, uh, property funds. Uh, property funds have the problem that uh, people want to redeem and therefore there is a need for liquidity. But by definition, a property fund holds a raft of completely liquid assets which you can't liquidate for months. That is an inherent risk in them. Why, in my view, there should be no open-ended commercial property funds. The FCA should stop that. That is another matter. The other one uh, sector, which I suppose is related to this, is if you think consumers are spending less, uh, their biggest asset is their house. 
uh, I explained in a previous edition of Share Profits Radio why profits from house builders can be highly cyclical. And maybe I explained this in Bearcast, so I should do it again. They can be highly cyclical for they are highly cyclical for two reasons. One, when demand house prices fall, uh, it tends to be accompanied by a slowing of volumes. Therefore, you have the top line hit pretty dramatically. Fewer sales and at lower prices. It is hard to cut your costs uh, 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 as quickly as the top line goes. Therefore, you have operational gearing uh, and profits fall sharply, but it gets worse. Uh, During the good times, ahead of this, companies will have invested in building up a land bank. If the price of uh, the properties that they're going to flog on that land bank uh, uh, falls uh, uh, sharply, uh, then you have to write down the value of your land bank as well. And it could just be that you find a couple of house builders going bust. It always happens in every downturn. Then you get distressed sellers of land banks and everybody has to mark down their prices. The markdowns in land banks uh, can wipe magnitudes of current year uh, forecast profits off house builders. So house builders are the ultimate cyclical stock. They can uh, go from making huge profits to making huge losses in the space of maybe just a year or a couple of years. Uh, that is why uh, uh, they are ones which you should always be wary of. I don't know why anyone at the time to buy, of course, is right at the bottom of a housing crash. We are not at that position now. We are at a position where house prices are still uh, at a huge multiple of uh, 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 average incomes uh, and are, by historic terms, uh, grossly overvalued. So I'm still cautious about house prices, particularly given the macroeconomic trends, the slowing of the global economy and the high levels of debt and consumer uh, 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 that British consumers are, are left with. That makes me nervous. Why would anyone own a house building stock when most of us have a lot of exposure to uh, house builders or to residential property because we own a house? Uh, many of us have that as a geared investment. That's to say we have a mortgage on that house. So most of us have enough exposure to that asset class already. Why on earth would you add to that exposure with a highly cyclical play where currently uh, the dividends on offer from some of those companies are too good to be true and are telling you that uh, uh, house price uh, uh, house builders are going to have tough times ahead and are going to have to cut their dividends. The vast numbers of sales by leading uh, uh, board members of uh, uh, residential house builders as well tells you the insiders know what's going to happen next. Why would you have more exposure to that sector when probably you've got enough exposure uh, via uh, the place that you already live in? So, uh, as well as avoiding hot sectors, the ones which are going to transform the world, the other sectors you can, you must avoid are ones which are clearly being transformed, they're being disrupted, uh, or they're just highly cyclical and you are at the wrong time of the market to buy. There will come a time when I will be doing a podcast, maybe uh, not Share Profits Radio, who knows what, and I will say... Now is the time to think about buying a house builder. Uh, There will be house builders which have prudently managed their balance sheets and are sitting on net cash at a time when the headlines in the Daily Mail will be screaming about negative equity and house prices falling and how we're all going to die tomorrow. And that is the time when you buy house builders. We're not anywhere close to that time now, so it's a sector to avoid as well. 
if you avoid the sectors which are guaranteed to lose you money uh, and focus your efforts on those where uh, 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 there is no guarantee of profit, but there's certainly there's no guaranteed loss, you're far more likely uh, to make money from the stock market uh, than if you ignore the issue of sector. Thank you for listening to me uh, droning on in this latest edition of Share Profits Radio, which thankfully has been sponsored by Open Orphan PLC. To find out more about this fine company, where I'm a loyal shareholder, uh, follow it on Twitter at Open Orphan, uh, or listen to the eighth edition of Share Profits Radio, where I interview its boss, boss Cathal Friel. Uh, if you've enjoyed this edition of Share Profits Radio, well, you'll either have to wait a week for the next one, maybe just a little bit less than a week, uh, in which case you're a cheapskate. Uh, or you could tune into Bearcast every day on Share Profits, uh, as well as uh, 270 other articles every month exposing rottenness, fraud and corruption uh, on London's financial services scene. It costs just five ninety nine a month. Come on, make an early New Year's resolution. Don't be a cheapskate uh, and get warning in advance of all the major scandals so you don't lose far more than five ninety nine a month by being invested in them. I'll be back next week. Speak to you then. Man of Scorpio, dream.